This Cybersecurity Summit podcast was created using the free Anchor app. The easy-to-use creation tools allow you to record and edit from your phone or computer, then Anchor will distribute your podcast to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Be sure to check out how to earn money with your podcasts. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello uh, and uh, welcome. I'm Sean Costigan. I'm welcoming you all to our webinar on hybrid work. Security is the next disruption. Let me uh, briefly to introduce myself. I'm a professor at the George C. Marshall European Center for Security Studies, where I work primarily on cybersecurity. Special thanks go out to Zoom today uh, for conceiving of this discussion. And uh, we will have, uh, I think, a very fascinating discussion about the future of hybrid work. So if I may uh, give us a quick reminder about the virtual 12th annual cybersecurity summit, which will take place October 24 to 26. As many of you know, uh, we just wrapped up the summit with over 1000 participants from 21 countries as we explored the power and peril of connection. Volunteer opportunities are available to get involved for 2022. If you would visit cybersecuritysummit.org, that's one word, cybersecuritysummit.org, to learn more and to register, uh, please do so. Once again, thanks to Zoom, and on behalf of the summit, uh, we wish uh, to thank them for conceiving of this, uh, what should be a very interesting discussion. I'd also like to, at this time, introduce Simon Bracey Lane, Simon is our rapporteur. He's a London and Minneapolis-based PhD student researching hybrid warfare at the University of Canberra, Australia. His research focuses on how individual elements of hybrid warfare are used in concert with one another in different operational theaters. After today's discussion, please watch for his rapporteur report, which will be published on cybersecuritysummit.org. Thank you, Simon. Now, if we move to our Q&A, uh, just so everyone understands how it works, we, uh, those of you who have been a part of these uh, discussions in the past will know and uh, will be familiar with all of this. We'll have a 15 to 20 minute Q&A session following the discussion. So if you would submit uh, your questions in the Q&A section, we'll answer those as time permits. And please note that I'll be reading these questions aloud and that this webinar, webinar is both public and on the record. So without further ado, let me introduce our speaker. Joining me for today's discussion is Gary Sarantino, who serves uh, as the Global Deputy CIO for Zoom Video Communications. He's a <clears throat> former Managing Director for JP Morgan Asset and Wealth Management. Gary was also Global Head of Client Cyber Awareness and Education. For over 12 years, Gary was a Chief Technology Officer at uh, JP Morgan's AWM's Global Technology Infrastructure Initiatives, where he met, he managed its data privacy program and was responsible for infrastructure application and user technology uh, production support. So, Gary, welcome. So, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Uh, let's let's get into it. So, you know, we have a great uh, we have a great topic. Hybrid work security is the next disruption. Why don't Why don't we talk about that? Uh, you know, and pick it apart. Uh, this hybrid work concept has been around for quite some time. Uh, and then maybe maybe we can start there. Certainly, it, it seems that it's been accelerated uh, at great, uh, uh, you know, most recently thanks to the pandemic. But maybe you'd like to pick up 
on that concept, and then we can get more into the security aspect of things. So where do you see things? Well, look, you're absolutely right. I mean, right, right now, um, hybrid work is the direction I think we're going. I mean, uh, we all started out, basically, I think prior to the pandemic, I was presenting that about 3% of the people worked remotely and 97% of the people worked on a premise. Mm -hmm. And that's greatly changed. I actually remember my last presentation where I presented this. It was in the beginning of March. And I actually presented that we would achieve about 10% of the workforce working from home full time in seven years. I forgot whether that was Gartner or one of one of the other partners, but somebody gave us that statistic. And in a weekend, that all changed. So, I mean, look, take, take a company like Zoom, right? We had a pivot. We, we had to go from what, what we were, and we had a couple of locations around the world. We were a little bit remote, but still think about this. We had to take our entire workforce and basically push them to work from home. Now, I, I hope people can fathom that because it wasn't just that the our employees went home. Our clients went home too. So I think in the first week, it was really about think, thinking about your employees. Now, again, we had a percentage of people working remotely because, well, I'm sorry, we're, we're a video conferencing company. And so we didn't have locations all over. But what we really needed to do in those first couple of weeks is figure out, okay, how are our employees working together? How is that going to change? And how is our client engagement model going to change? And those were all things we had to think of pretty quickly. I mean, think about companies, March 13th, you got, you got that email, uh, go to the office. If you're near an office, grab as much technology as you possibly can and go home. You know, people went into chairs, desks, um, keyboards, mice. They took printers that didn't even work at home, monitors, computers, right? And things like that. But then the second part happened. Now people had to figure out how to bring work and life together. And now we had to figure out things like those who work global understood asynchronous work. Those who work domestic didn't own that. But, and then the second problem was really working with our employees because you were living at work now, okay? And how do you keep that balance? Because it, it became too easy in those first couple of weeks to be available 100% of the time. You know, asynchronous turned into 24-7. So we really tried to work with our employees to say, look, you need to figure out how to work your local hours. I admit I did a bad job. You know, I have a global job. That means I, I'm an East Coaster. I work for a West Coast company, right? I was starting to get balance where I'd start in the morning early for my European clients, maybe take a break in the morning, right? Go for a walk or something, right? Wait for my West Coast partners to wake up, work with them for the afternoon, try to take a break around six o'clock, maybe actually, maybe dinner with the family, right? Jump back on online. So what happened was, you know, like every other company, I think at the end, um, we became, as you can imagine, extremely busy during the pandemic, trying yeah. to service a lot of clients at, at the same time. Um, yeah, we had to worry about burnout. We had to worry about things like uh, keeping our employees engaged, keeping, keeping them connected with our clients at the right level. And, you know, we're, we're a company that supports very strong work-life balance. But Sean, as you know, somehow in the, in the technology industry, I don't know, I, I've come through the Wall Street banks Work-life balance wasn't a, we had the word, okay? There's, and, and we had balance, it was work. And, and, right. there, and there was the balance. 
Yeah. Uh, now you're, you're you're hitting on so many great uh, great topics, and I know uh, unpacking it's going to be uh, you know more than we, what we have with you today. But let's let's try a little bit because I okay. one one of the things that you know you're in a, an an enviable position and also an unenviable position, which is you know on, on a, how many companies uh, you know get to be known as you know a verb or a noun. You know you guys are out there on the verb end of it. You know there's two Zoom now, but there's also Zoom fatigue. Which is one of the things that you discussed, and uh, you know that uh, you know you, not oh, using you that. You mean you mean meeting not, fatigue? Not 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 using that phrase exactly. Right. <laughs> meeting fatigue, and so that's that's the trick here. Is like uh, you know I think you know you're you're in an in an enviable position, which is you know you're able to like shape this discussion in a way that uh, you know others have not been able to in the past. So, yeah, meeting fatigue is real. Uh, I think you know for people, but uh, you know at the same time without the technology. Uh, where would we be? So there's there's been an interesting uh, sort of trajectory, right, with the development of technology that was there when we needed it, uh, and then has grown to become uh, not just what we need, but what we rely on in any given day uh, to do our work. So, you know, what sort of advice do you have for uh, you know companies going forward on the what, what's uh, what's the what's the path for hybrid work that you can see that will get people well, you know, have less meeting fatigue, but also understand the power of it. So, you know, I, I guess the problem is understanding it. Um, I, I guess people don't real people probably took a while to realize is that our senses, we read body language all day yeah. long. All of a sudden, you only gave me 25% of Gary. Yeah. And now I was focused on how do I read a very smaller percentage, but I need more information than I'm getting. And there's a stress point there for sure. Yeah. Right. So what we try to do is this. We're, we're very much about, and, and we did what everybody else did, virtual yoga, comedians, things like that, very much intentional during the day. We wanted people to understand that, yeah, we'll do happy hours after, after work, but it's okay to have you know these events during the day, during the business day to get people, bring your pet, bring your cat, things like that. Um, we try to encourage you know, how do you recreate those serendipitous moments to get rid of this meeting fatigue and things like that? I mean, we are sitting in front of this screen 14, 15 meetings in a row sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so while we try to make smaller meetings, 25 minute meetings, 55, we've all heard these. What we try to do also is a couple of things. I know I try to do this. Make the meeting start at 10.05 and go to 10.30. But most of us jump on at 10. Here's why. Do not talk about the meeting for the first five minutes. Mm -hmm. Talk about life. Talk about the newspaper. Talk about the headlines. Talk about kids. Talk about anything which you normally would have done if you walked to a conference room, right? And you need to build those connections and that trust. And you need to break out of the constant, I'm constantly have this camera in my face. Yeah. Right? Which can be a little bit intimidating. And, and I do think that um, Zoom, Zoom started out as a meeting client. And that was pre-pandemic. I started with Zoom two years ago, just before the pandemic. Um, but now it's a real platform. And I think that the difference is this. Why do you always have to be on camera? Why can't you be on voice? Why can't you change modalities? Why can't you start a meeting on voice? Upgrade to the camera if you need to. Learn how to use the tools that we now have. Well, and I think that's one of the things about it is, and be conscious of the meetings. Uh, you know, at the beginning... A lot of people were probably in the, what am I missing? And so I think even at the beginning, I attended a lot more meetings where as this evolved, now I started saying, do I need to be in that meeting? 
or do I just have to be in every meeting because I'm afraid I'm going to miss something, mm-hmm. right? And I think that that changed. And I think myself, our teams, our clients, you know, working with them on, I guess what I'm trying to say is as people are even returning to work now and then, here's what we never did. We taught people their jobs, okay? We, we, when I ran IT shops, we taught developers how to develop, mm-hmm. right? We taught, we taught people in finance about finance. We never taught people how to work. And yep. so I think that's what changed a little bit is finally they picked it up or companies now have real programs that are teaching people how to use the tools and how to work. I don't even want to say efficiently. Let's say effectively. Yeah. Let's pick up that side of it. So Zoom does uh, quite a bit of that as well, right? Uh, the, the education end of how, how to use, not just how to use the tool Zoom, uh, that, that you provide, but what, what it means to be in an organizational culture that, uh, you know, uh, values remote work. Uh, and uh, where, where do you see that headed? Uh, is that uh, whose responsibility is it in companies to train people essentially to, uh, to get them to understand the nature of work uh, in the, uh, the new normal or the next normal, whatever that's going to look like? So, right, whatever it's going to look like, because even with the weekend, it looks like it's going to change again. Exactly. Um, look, I think it's a combination of both. Um, we have to be a thought leader. We have to be a thought leader in how to work going forward. And we're developing functionality and products that are going to that are going to help our clients uh, engage better. But I think it's a combination. Yes, we can give training on how to use the product. That's for sure. Okay, yeah. we need to give training on how people can engage going forward. It, you know, the thing is, um, it's one thing to teach you how to drive your car, but it's another thing. Then people go for defensive driving classes. Well, we need to teach also, okay, you know how to use the, I know where the buttons are. I know how to change my name. I know how to change my background. Yeah, but it's more than that. So that's a combination of us and our customers, right? With us helping, being thought leaders to show, here's how you need to use the tools you now have. And here's how to use them. And, And I think the last thing is also listening to the employees because a lot of our functionality comes from our clients what they're looking for. I mean, we're, we're looking at things from basically the meeting that we're sitting here now and everybody's used to the Brady Bunch to mm-hmm. maybe immersive scenes. Why aren't we sitting on a couch together having this conversation or across a fireplace? Why do we have to be in this mode? And it's, it is unusual as I, as I talk to clients all over the world, there is so much functionality built into the tools that we now have today. You know, what is it they said a couple of years ago? Everybody knows the word Excel. Okay, spreadsheet program. Uh-huh. But you know, people only use 2% of that product. 2%. Kind of like the human brain at this point. Yeah. yeah. And, and so it's crazy when you're talking to people and they're like, how did, how did you do that? And it's like, well, it's built into the product. And so I think that that's an obligation of both the vendor and the companies to put together training because knowing how to use things, knowing how to make things work, using that functionality that was built in. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give you a great example. I was talking to a, I uh, hope you don't mind. I love stories. Well, I, was talking to a, I was talking to a CEO the other day and um, his company is partially back in work. And so what he's doing is he's doing the right thing. I am going to the meetings in person that are in my building. Bravo. He goes, I have a problem. I said, I know, I know your problem. You got a one to two and a two to three and a three to four and a four to five, right? He goes, I don't want to bring them up to my conference room. I'm going to them. I said, yeah, that commute between the elevator is killing you. He goes, I can't make it in one minute. 
He goes, but here's what happens. Five minutes before the meeting ends, I get up, I disrupt the meeting. Everybody forgets about next steps and next to do's, right? And then I leave. He says, they stopped inviting me to the meetings. I said, well, why don't you just switch from the meeting you're in to your phone to a product we call Switch? Take the call with you. They still see you. They can continue the meeting. You're still part of it in your commute to the next meeting. He hung up on me. I called him back the next day. I said, why did you hang up on me? He goes, I had to write an email to all my senior staff to tell them about this feature. So you know what it is? It's about, yes, but there, there is, even Zoom has no meeting Wednesdays. Yeah. Okay. No internal meeting Wednesdays. Clients always come first. But at the end of the day, it's figuring out that balance between the meetings, the tools, and learning how to work going forward. Yeah. I think it's just so important. Yeah, it's crucial. Yeah, earlier I was hearing uh, it's, it's a great story. Because, uh, earlier I was listening to a uh, was a Harvard Business School professor talking about uh, serendipity. You mentioned the same word, and it's uh, you know one of these challenges inside workplaces. You know, not just what you pick up on, but the uh, the opportunities that you have that are not just scheduled, right? Those that are truly serendipitous, and I imagine that's something you guys think about as well. And 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 how. How would it be possible in an environment where people are just expected to show up for scheduled meetings and stare at each other as we're doing right now? Uh, and uh, thoughts on that? Well, I read the same article. Yeah. Right. It was amazing how the article ended. I hope it was the same article. Yeah. I think it was. Well, it ended with serendipitous moments don't have business value. In other words, most of the time, if I meet you in the coffee room, I'm asking about how's the family right. and things like that. I don't know if I agree 100% with it. I mean, they're a very notable group. And so at the end of the day, they've done a lot of research, but I think there's that balance. What I try to do is this. I try to keep a very, okay, I'm going to say open Zoom policy, right? I tell people, if you see me green, let's use presence, call me. But don't only call me for a business reason, right? Sometime, sometimes someone just picks up the phone and venting, right? Somebody calls up and just says, you know, I'm trying to do something at home and I'm having a trouble setting up my router at home or something like that, right? Let's add that little bit of using presence, interrupt me to, during the day to ask me a question that I'm not scheduled to answer. Don't set up a 15 minute meeting with me. Wait till I'm green, you're green, hit the button. What's the worst I do? Decline? Yeah, or cool down after another meeting. I use it, I use it for that, right? I mean, if right. I've gone from one to another and just have, need to, you know, and, have- And I will- I will tell you, for the first time in my career, I put Gary Blocks in my calendar. For the first time in my career, that every once in a while, I look at my calendar and I say, okay, today, you know, that half hour that got canceled, I'm going to put a Gary Block there. Yeah. And, I, and I'm going to do something. You know, uh, it, it's, a, it's incredible how um, we talk to clients all over the world and they're talking about things where people in the buildings in New York, they will actually meet in the lobby at like eight o'clock in the morning, they will walk to a Starbucks together to get coffee and then they'll come back and they call that their commute. Mm -hmm. And here's what they do during the commute. They leave their personal um, persona. They pick up their business persona. And then when they're coming back into their apartment, they're now their business day because that was something we did on the way to work every day. That commute allowed us to change modes. 
for right. lack of a better word, right? Correct. You walked into the office, there was a structure, you followed certain opinions and things like that. And then you you decompressed from that. You know, um, I always lived in the city. I had a five minute compute. I used to envy people who had a train ride. They got to read the paper on the way read in. The paper. Sure. Right. They got to do email on their phone on the way home. Me, I'm home, right? Five minutes later, I'm in work mode. I still haven't left work mode. So again, I, I put it all back to teaching people how to work because I don't know if they're all going to get it on their own, but but at the end of the day, I think that's a valuable lesson. And, and to make people understand, you don't have to work in this new flexible environment like we did before. What did, what did Mark say? The past is gone and it's never coming back. Mm -hmm. I would add to that. And we all need to evolve forward. Yeah, no, that's a, a, absolutely. And let's let's talk about the, the evolution side of it. So I, I mean, you, you've been there on the ground floor since... Uh, you know, the start of the pandemic and just before it, as you mentioned. And can you tell us a little bit about uh, not, not just the organizational structure uh, and how Zoom came uh, about uh, to deal with its own hybrid work, but also what happened with the security side of it uh, to the extent that you, uh, you know, would like to tell us that story because that, that acceleration has been phenomenal. And it's, I think it's very interesting for people to get to know a bit about how you, how you grew and met the demand that, uh, that everyone needed. So, so you're right. I mean, look, at the beginning, when the pandemic first happened, um, people leaned on Zoom, right? Uh, our goals were clear, right? We, we made goals that said, look, employ employers need to be connected with employees. That needs to go on going forward. We need to figure out how children can continue to learn. More than ever, healthcare. We have to support healthcare because people are gonna need to be connected with doctors. You know what also the number one thing we thought about is? Families need to see each other. They need to know that they're safe, right? I can't go see mom. I can't travel here, right? But I need to see that person to make sure that they're safe. And so that was our primary goals at the beginning. What, what we needed to do is scale up. So Zoom right now, uh, I think it was a little less than 2000 when I started. It's probably around 7,000. I think 75% of Zoom was hired during the pandemic. That would probably mean 75% of the people with Zoom have never been to a Zoom office. Uh, in cases is they've probably met, an, they probably never met another Zoomy or Zoomer, depending if you're East Coast or West Coast, but uh, at the end of the day. But what we had to do is this. We clearly had to define the areas that we needed to ramp up. We needed to support clients. And that's, I think, what we did but we needed also to, to enhance our client onboarding programs, uh, our, our employee onboarding programs. You know, you, you just can't hire, right? You want, you want people to, to understand the culture of the company. You want them to make sure they understand our structure and our policies. And so we really had to put in a lot of new things for new hire events. I mean, that was rapid growth yeah. during, during that time period. And so uh, it, it was a time when we became a verb. And it was a time when a lot of companies were using us to keep themselves connected. I think in the first couple of weeks, it was all about employees and employers. I think very rapidly, it then said, what about the clients? Right? We're, they're going through the same thing. And then the second wave, I think, is the clients changed the way they procured products and services from providers. Right? And that had to happen as the natural evolution. So we had to be around to support that, too after that. So yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, um, I'm not going to lie to you. You can imagine it was a little bit tough, right? It was a little bit of all hands on deck, right? Um, supporting our clients. Yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, you know, concomitant with that, you know, we're all these cybersecurity challenges, and some of which we can touch on here, perhaps. But you know, one of the worries that so many people had uh, very early on was that remote work was going to become more uh, vulnerable, uh, and I'm sure you, uh, you know, dealt with that immediately as a as a prime concern at Zoom. So how did you how did you reassure clients uh, and others that uh, you know your emphasis on cybersecurity would be would be there? Uh, and would be there in a way that would be robust enough to uh, to protect and also to extend uh, remote work. What did you? Uh, what was the first step there? So I think there's two parts to that, right? First of all, um, Zoom, like every other company, I, I'm going to say that it was easier because I'm saying that in retrospect now that we think back. But before the pandemic, uh, well, we were protecting the four walls. Was that the you know the four walls? And we used to say that that was tough, but probably easier. Very quickly, it became no walls. It became thousands of different work environments. It became Wi-Fi networks we were never doing business over before and potential vulnerabilities because everybody was told, use whatever you can to connect, right? Companies couldn't buy laptops. So use your own, right? T today, <clears throat> a lot of people upgraded themselves. I know I did that. Look, no offense to Zoom, I'm sure they're going to matter if I say this, but they sent me home with this 27-inch monitor. What the hell am I going to do with a single 27-inch monitor, right? Nice 36 curve was in my budget. Thank, thanks to Amazon, they let you know three months later, hey, that monitor you bought is now 50% off. Now there's two, right? Two 4K screens. But all of a sudden, there was that crossover between personal technology and corporate technology. And I think what happened was a couple of things. For companies... They had to learn to deal with that, just like Zoom had to learn to deal with that. Yeah. And they had, to, they had to figure out, how am I going to incorporate all of this new technology? Uh, let's say it's say new, this personal technology that was never conducting business. Look, most companies I've worked for, as you, you said, my background was mostly uh, Wall Street. Printing from home was a never, yeah. a never. You could, if you needed to print it to send to a client, you call someone in the office, they print it and email it for you. Well, there's nobody in the office. And you could print it, but I mean, what did we learn over the pandemic? Why do we need printers? You, you couldn't get in the building to print it if you wanted to. Couldn't get right? into the building to print it anyway, right? right? So, yeah. so at the end of the way, the, the world changed there. So I think what ha had to happen was we had to focus on a couple of things, right? So we can, we can take this down two paths. There's one, we can talk about Zoom and the security changes that it did, right? right? We can talk about uh, some of the things that people need to do going forward. Why don't we talk about the Zoom one first? Yeah. Yeah, so, absolutely. I think so, that they're they're both crucial, uh, you know, and we'll we'll find out. And I know you wrote an article, uh, you know, that uh, deals with human variables. So maybe we can get to that a little bit uh, as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So let's talk about Zoom. So at Zoom, look, no, there's, everybody knows we had it. We had this issue at the beginning of the pandemic, and people were looking at Zoom and looking about our security. So we did a couple of things. Now, first, let's let's place Zoom where it was pre-pandemic. We were an enterprise company. We worked with enterprises. So the product was delivered to enterprises. Enterprises would configure it the way that they needed it for their security posture and then deploy it to uh, employees. Very set model. Okay, that means a couple of things. You deliver it in a way where someone else is gonna add security value before it gets delivered to the end user. All of a sudden though, you have schools using it. They don't have IT departments. So what happened was, you heard about, we're just going to say bombings, meeting disruptions. I'm going to try and leave some of the names out of it. And at yeah. the end of the day, 
It was about what are we going to do? And in some cases, we had to make some decisions. So we started with the 90-day plan. Eric came out and he said, we're going to do a 90-day plan. The 90-day plan had seven parts to it. And the first part was really, we focused our entire engineering resources on trust, safety, and privacy. Okay, We didn't come up with any new functionality unless it was designed for trust, safety, or privacy during that 90-day period. Now, we did a couple of things during that, night, that first 90-day period. This is point one. We released uh, Zoom 5.0, one of our biggest, and that was AES-256 GCM. We acquired Keybase because now end-to-end -end encryption was important, and we had to include that across, across our product. And we also had to introduce something that was called customized data routing. So companies could now decide, where is my data? And that was important. Uh, I think, don't quote me on the number, maybe a hundred releases during that time, but I want to fall back. Because when I say a hundred releases, people will go, you fixed a hundred problems? No, here's what we did. Some things that came on automatically, we now shut off, right? Some things that, that now used to just automatically reported a product, people had to search for to turn on again. Okay, so that was important. If you, for the people who are noticing at the top of the Zoom webinar or even the Zoom meeting used to be the meeting ID. Okay, but how many people during the pandemic were so proud that they were connected, they would take a, a screenshot and put it up on social media and say, meeting with my management team. Yeah, but you put the phone number for the call on social media. And then when 10 people joined, people were like, meeting disruption. Okay, so we had, some of it was also training. So we moved that under the shield. Okay, what we did was we had lots of security controls, but maybe they weren't all in the same place. And now for the host, we have a security icon, right? The host sees a security icon, all the controls they need to manage the meeting are there. And recently we just came out with a new feature. If you decided that there's a problem with the meeting, you could just pause the meeting, just stop. You don't wanna end it, but why don't we just pause it until you can figure out what's wrong? Because a lot of times the host is just the person who set the call up. They're not qualified. And that was another thing. Uh, we spent the summer teaching teachers how to teach on this platform. Yeah. I, so, you know, this is talking about stories. So, so the young lady said to me, she goes, I don't know how to use Zoom security. I said, well, let's walk through your day. What do you teach? She said, fourth grade. I said, great. So tell me about your day. Well, I stand outside my office and people, my students come in. Okay. I said, and what happens fourth grade? They're about this tall. What happens when the seven footer tries to get in? She goes, I tell them, no, you can't come. This is not your class. I said, we call that waiting room. Oh, I go now. The students are all seated. Seated. What do you do next? She goes, I say, good morning. No. What do you do first? She said, I close the door. We call that lock the meeting. I said, how many people can write on the, on the board behind you? She goes, just me. So why don't you shut it off for everybody in the class? She said, why don't you call it, close the door instead of lock the meeting? <laughs> now that was a great yeah, point. It is. That's, a, that's yeah. a great point. But the analogy there was really about teaching them how to use the control. So that first point of the freeze was really about making the changes and teaching it. Yeah. I think the second thing we did is look, you have to bring in third parties. Right? We brought in third parties, right? We needed the experts around us to help us along the way. 
uh, we needed to prepare a transparency report. People needed to know, are we getting requests for data, right? Are we getting requests for records or content? Um, we stepped up our bug bounty program. That was very, very important to, to us. The next one I'm most proud of, I'm not only the global deputy CIO, I'm the chairman of the Zoom CISO council. And what we did was we engaged our clients. Right now, I think there's 36 CISOs who represent some of the most prestigious companies in the world to help us along this journey. Nothing better than engaging your clients because as we have to know about changing guidelines around the world, you need the financial services people to be at the table. You need the people in legal to be at the table. You need the defense contractors and you need the government people. You need the people who are supporting the lawyers. You need them all in the same room to figure out what the journey is going forward, right? And so to have that was, was, uh, was great. Uh, they've, been, they've been invaluable to us. We're going on our second year with them right now. Uh, yeah, we did, just to round out the seven, we, uh, we engaged simultaneous white box testing. And then here's the last thing we did, open and transparent. Eric has, they're called AMAs, ask me anything. Anything's true. Okay. And what, he, what we did was we did it weekly for the first 13 weeks. I was, I've had the honor of presenting at several. And uh, we went from weekly and they were literally ask me anything. Then we went to monthly, now they're quarterly and we're gonna keep doing them. Here we are two years later, we're gonna keep doing them until people stop showing up. And then um, for the benefit of this, this meeting, uh, one of the most important hires was we hired Jason Lee. He's our, our CISO. Most companies, even, even from where, where my time was, right? Most companies, while I, I probably wasn't a CISO long enough in title, the CTOs, the CIOs, we all played a security role before we had that role. And now we have a, a full-time CISO, Jason Lee, and we have a deputy CISO, uh, Richard Farley. So that, that was our 90-day journey. Um, so massive the second massive yeah. acceleration. Yeah, a massive acceleration that you described. Uh, and the, the stories help, I think, a great deal, particularly when you hear about training the trainers and a variety of other uh, you know, uh, efforts that you've done. So uh, the second part, you know, the human side of it and the human variables, let's, let's talk about that. Yeah, that, 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 was a, that was a great article because today, you know, look, there's three parts to that article. First one was zero trust. And yeah. before I say zero trust, I have to explain to everybody out there. We're telling people that flexible work is about trust of your employees. Mm -hmm. And the CISOs are right behind that word going zero trust. Right. Tell you the truth, I don't think the employees actually get that they're two different meanings. But I think the part about zero trust is we had to, onboarding is the wrong word, we had to allow connectivity from devices that we didn't understand or know that we're going to connect. Crazy, be, think, be, bring your own device, crazy world that uh, we entered all of a sudden. Really, it, it was bring your own device, no MDM yeah. in some cases, right? right. And, and, and to tell you the truth today, look, the threats are more... The threats are more complex, but sometimes the threats are just simple, right? Look, we, we know who hasn't received, you know, a fake email about COVID testing, contact tracing and things they, like that. Who right? hasn't, I mean, yeah. Who hasn't, right? I mean, look, it, I, I tell people this all the time. It, it's as easy as this. I'm very proud that I'm going to go work for a company on Monday morning. I have a new job. So on Friday, I post that on my LinkedIn Okay. All of a sudden I come in the first day and I get an email saying, click here to activate your health benefits. Yeah. Well, I should have got that email, right? That's so easy. 
so today it's about it, it's about we're just there's not the four walls anymore, right? And and I think the zero trust model is the only way to go. It really is about how are we gonna track the users, their locations, how are we gonna use data, right? We have to now learn to trust users and the devices that they have, right? And so that's the best basically way that zero trust. Um, the other thing is, look, we need people to understand, I get that multi-factor is tough, okay? But if you don't stop using your dog's name as a password, yeah. Right. We have no choice but to amplify that with something that changes. It was a faulty model going right out of the gate. Right. I mean, the password model should have just long time abandoned. But and, uh, yeah. And you know, I, I'm sorry, but we can't really. I don't know why, but we can't teach people how to change their password in the proper no. way. Right. right. You start out with the dog's name. Next thing is someone wants you to add a capital, so that's the first one. Some uh, six months later, add a number. My dog's yeah. number one. Put it there. Right now, you got to add a symbol. You put an exclamation point. You can yeah. almost guess their password. Now that third ninety days comes by, and what are you asked to do? Change it. Change it. Wow, can't change the. Add an exclamation point as quickly as you can. Right. Make that's, it a two. Right, make it a two. No, make that's right. you're right. This the cyber hygiene thing is so it's so, so long in the tooth now. Uh, you know, not to neglect it, but the reality is that. You know, we've been talking about it for a decade now, uh, if not longer, and uh, those people have been in cybersecurity and uh, haven't really seen a lot of gain, which is uh, punishing in a way as well for some of the people at the, uh, you know, securing the weakest link end, end of the spectrum, uh, you know, you keep wondering. So that's why zero trust is very interesting, I think, yes. as, a, as an approach. But, but I then, also think the one thing that, you, that we got to bring up about passwords is this, yeah. since we're working from home, yeah. Why can't my home passwords and my work passwords be the same? Right. Right. Because I'm working on the same device. Why can't I access? I, I don't want to keep bringing, here's my work computer and my personal computer. I just do everything on my work computer. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I don't think people realize how many people don't realize that, you know, Gary Sorrentino at, at some social media, right. If my password there, which could be breached, is the same as mine on the other side of the protected four walls, it's very easy to figure out the same person. Right. And so I think that's very important. I think the next side is about personalized data protection. It really is about looking at each person and figuring out. I mean, when we talk data protection, data security, we talk about big breaches, right? But I think really now we got to look at endpoint security. We got to look at those things we talked about before, right? We need to tell them what MDMs are. We, we don't put MDMs out there because we want to look at your personal data, mm -hmm. right? One we, one, we don't have enough capacity to read it in. Two, we don't care at the end of the day. But we're going to need to finally figure out this personalized data protection. Look, I, I, in my past life, when someone called from home and wanted to know how to set up their home router, that was like called the Geek Squad, right? We're corporate technology. Today, we have to have that training. We have to teach them how to set up their homes in a proper way because their homes, whether we like it or not, are our work environments. We have to teach them what these big words, VPN is not something I use that makes me slow down a little bit. It's something I use and here's the reason. And I think before in technology, before the pandemic, corporations figured out technology and pushed it out. That doesn't exist anymore. Now users have a choice. And now corporate technology groups, they have to figure out how do I support that? How do I educate them on what the word VPN means? How do I show them that they're going to put us at risk? We want you to bounce around, work from the library, work from the Starbucks, work from home, come to the office. We want you to bounce around, but we want you to do that securely. Yeah. 
And the last of that triad is uh, training. The training side of it, for sure. I, I well, am, who uh, owns it? Who owns training? I mean, uh, well, in today's world. All right. So I think, look, 95% of all the breaches, we, cyber breaches come from the human, the weakest link. Absolutely. The weakest link. So at the end of the day, how do we train human nature? And I have a lot of opinion on this. So they're going to go to a couple. I hope you don't mind a couple of different stories on this. No. too. So at the end of the day, we've all come from this training where we call it training. I'm going to do a 25 minute video. Okay. And then I'm going to get eight out of 10. You know, I call that memorization, right? How many people take pictures of the training screens, okay, with their camera? And then when they get to the, the eight out of 10, they just scroll back and they figure it out, right? I think today it really is about, I challenge most of my CISO compadres out there to do this. Take the same test, change the order of the questions, send it to your users six weeks later without the 20 minute video, right? Right? Because if you don't get eight out of 10 the first time, you do it again. Yeah. Right? And at the, end, at the end of the day, that's not how we need to train people. We need people to do real scenario-based training. They need to sit down and they need to understand real-life training. But we need to train them in a couple of ways. What's a threat? What's a risk? And here are the tools that we give you and how to use it. That's what we need to teach people. Mm-hmm. Not memorization, tick the box, walk away, yeah. and be happy. Yeah, that's a compliance model that's kind of broken at the end of the day, right? That's a check the box and move on and hope it, it was it was check the box, and you know what? It, it, everybody was able to produce great scorecards, right? Yeah. But I think that basic training is it's no longer an option, right? You yeah. need to get to that next level of training. And look, that's table stakes going forward because we are going to be in a future evolving model. For a very long time, yeah, yeah. That uh, that that new normal uh, that uh, keeps coming up, or the next normal, as I prefer. Uh, you know, it just keeps uh, the, with evolving risks and evolving threats that are uh, going to be important, and and making those distinguishing points. I think one question that's come in that I'd like to address is uh, is how do how how would you recommend finding people, or what do you recommend in terms of training uh, for people to think about risks and threats uh, in terms of their own, not just with regard to uh, the platforms that they use, but in general, uh, with regard to cybersecurity, do you have any advice on that? You know, there, there are a lot of great training programs out there. I think what you have to do is you have to find the one that resonates with your business and your users. One where people want to learn. Look, people want to learn, okay? Um, the problem is, it's like, it's like the, the, I go back to the teacher. I explained how to use the controls in a language she understood. Okay. At the end of the day, very smart person, right? But a topic that sometime in the IT world, there are people who don't understand exactly what we talk about, believe it or not. Right. And so I think the real thing is pick the training, do it often, right? Gamification helps a lot. People like that, right? Um, they hate, you know, when you get these threats, like you haven't taken a training, take it. You know, that just means, okay, tonight I'm just going to pour a cup of coffee. I'm going to go through this lousy 10-minute training. I'm not going to learn anything, but I'm going to tick the box and move forward. And that shouldn't be it. You have to set up an environment where your users understand what the training's for and understands the outcome, right? And, and how to enable it. It's like learning any skill that you don't use. And, and a lot of those, those eight out of 10 trainings I can't even remember the last one I took eight out of 10, any value out of it, right? At the end of the day. Um, 
you know, and, and I'm sorry, but we need to continue testing. It's training and testing, right? It's training, testing, and awareness. Why is cybersecurity month only October? Why isn't it Jan through December, right? right? There should be campaigns every single month. Attend when you can, right? Yeah. And things like that. Make it very much open. Um, the way we do events at work now to bring people together, maybe cyber needs. And, and you know, I hate this word so for my cyber friends out there. We can't be Dr. Nose anymore. We got to really be um, yes if, and we have to be viewed as a partner. And I think a lot of times it's like, those guys are making me take training and that's just a waste of my time. No, it's not, right? And I, I do think you mentioned something at the beginning. Uh, one of the programs I wrote in a prior life was uh, about protect the client. I kind of changed the model there. It's one thing for the financial institution to train inside out. I changed the model. How do we teach outside in? Mm -hmm. How do we make them part of the solution and not, not the problem that we have to design around? And I think that that's very important is to show people another perspective. And things yeah, like that. that's that's crucial, and that's an excellent point, Gary. So let me let me pick up on one thing that uh, <clears throat> that I hear uh, a lot about, which is uh, you know the uh, sort of see some see something, say something model, for lack of a better way of uh, when you notice something, you know you want to talk about it. And how how does Zoom deal with? Uh, the, yeah, I know you mentioned bug bounties, which has been very successful for you, and maybe you could tell us or you know how how you uh, built that program, but also just in general uh, the sort of where, where, what do you recommend people do in the uh, remote environments when they think there's a risk? You mentioned pausing as well, which was, I think, really important and a great feature. Uh, but where do they go? Uh, you know, uh, we, we usually say at the Marshall Center, know who to call. Uh, you know, that's our shorthand. You know, if you should trust somebody, know who to call, maybe they'll give you the advice. What do you, what do you recommend in terms yeah, of that? So I think we've got to make it easier for people. We have, yeah. to, we have to make it so, you know, calling is so yesterday. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately. Right. But yeah. we have to be able to if I think this mail is bad, it has to be one click for me to re uh, reject it and send it to the right place. Right. A lot of us will delete it. Got it. OK, yeah. we don't want to touch it because if we touch it, we get put on some report and things like that. But if we knew it's surprisingly, I work with a lot of companies and a lot of companies will introduce, you know, a right click where it says report as a threat or a spam. Questionable. 90% of the users who have passed the eight out of 10 training doesn't know that control is there. Right. Because the second I pass that eight out of 10 training, my mind goes purge. Right. And I don't got to look at that for another year or six months. So what I think it is, it really incorporated. Remember at the a few, a few lines back, what I said is understanding the threats, understanding the risks, but yeah. more importantly, understanding the tools that we give them right? Understand that there are, these are the tools that we get and how to apply them. And I think that misses from a lot of training. That's right. Well, let's, let's do this. Let's open up to uh, the, the Q and A side of it. If we, uh, we have some questions coming in, I know there have been a few that came in earlier and I may uh, just direct those. So if everybody uh, has any questions, please, uh, anybody have a question, put it in our, uh, our chat for Q and A, and uh, we'll take them in order that they come, or uh, in order of preference. So let's let's take a look at those, and I'm going to resort to another question that I had uh, earlier. So let's let's touch on the bug bounty side of it. Can you just tell us about how the program works uh, uh, for you guys with uh, with Zoom. So so I think the bug bounty program was something that we put together. Um, the real the real engineer for that was we hired the right people. 
right? We, first of all, we hired Luda Security to help us set it up. Hire a professional, right? Hire the people that know how to set it up. Hire the people that on our side now, oh, I forgot the gentleman's name that we hired. Love to give him props for that. But he's actually taken that. And what he's done is he's made it a much better program, right? Because we get reports from what is it? HackerOne, Bug Crowd, right? Right now you can report things to security at zoom.us, right? And things like that, uh, Praetorian, right? So we have this program put in place. Uh, I think Andy runs it, right? But I think that's the thing. Set it up properly with the with the people that understand how to do that, and then hire the right people to keep it going. And yeah, that's what that's, changed for us. That's that's it. And uh, you know, it, it strikes me, you know, Gary, one of the things that you keep coming back to, which is uh, you know, very smart from my perspective, in addition to all the other smarts that you brought to it, is the people side of it. Uh, and uh, you know, you're clearly it's a technology company, but Zoom is also clearly talking about the people across the board. It's, people with training, people with education, people. So we're, you know, uh, it, it's, it's an impressive, uh, you know, a lineup that you brought to, to bear here. So I, I just wonder, you know, with the, with the participants that we have in the room, any piece of this that you'd like to pick up, uh, you know, we'd be uh, open to, but I'd, I'd like to continue, you know, the conversation with you on the people into the spectrum, uh, particularly on where you think, uh, you know, where things are going to be headed uh, a year from now or uh, two years from now, are people going to return yeah. to the office? That is a great question. You know, when, when I moderate, what I do is I ask my panelists at the end, look out into the audience, imagine you're on a stage, there's a thousand CIOs in there, tell them what you see three years from now. Yeah. Right. You know, I, I think a couple of things are going to happen. Um, uh, Gary opinion, right? We're going to go through a period of confusion, right? Now let's forget what happened over the last couple of weekends, because this whole new pandemic and new variants that are popping up might change plans. But January, February is going to be a D mark for most companies trying to get to a return of some normalcy. Okay. So the pendulum will swing from fully work from home to some sort of balance. Now I've heard, I speak about this all the time. I've heard, we call it remote work. We understand that that's pretty easy. Okay. We, we handle the binaries very well, all at work, all at home. We handle that very well. Okay, now it's hybrid, half in, half out, 50, 80, 20, who cares about the percentage, right? Now we have to figure out if I'm coming into the office, why am I on a Zoom call? Well, because one person on the conference call is home, mm -hmm. right? And the days of walking into, a, into an office and there's a polycom and there's six people and you have a conference, right? How many times do we walk out of that room? We forgot to shut the polycom off and we forgot to say goodbye to the person on the phone. The hot mic problem. Right. right. So at the end of the day, um, we're going to have to deal with that. I think we're going to go into a little bit of a messy zone. I think a couple of things happen. The employees that are coming back to the office, they're not the same employees we sent home. They're empowered. They made decisions. So many decisions, they are willing to exit their job to work in the manner in which they think they want to work. Mm -hmm. So what I think is going to happen is we're going to see, we've seen companies, they open the front doors, 40%. 30%, 20%, 10%, why do we ever open the door? And then when you sit down with them, it's because the model they tried to emulate in remote work was either the pre-pandemic model where everybody in the office was working together and everybody outside was just catch up or the work from home so that my desk at the office was no different than my desk at home. Can't be those models, right? right? So now we're moving to what's flexible. Right? People want flexibility. I, I, don't tell me I got to come to work three days a week. Right? Maybe some weeks I'll come five, some weeks I'll come none. 
yeah. right? Yeah. But I want flexible. I just heard a new word, autonomous, autonomous working. You know, I don't know about you, but I define autonomous as, well, they want to work and they don't want anybody to tell them what to do at that mm -hmm. point. Here's what's going to happen. I think the pendulum is going to swing in the middle. And here's what I also think is going to happen. As we see companies interviewing their employees, their employees are changing their views as time goes on. Yeah. Right. They're figuring out, I want to go back to the office. Okay. Summer and heading back into the offices and then finding out I'm not seeing value. Right. I think the major thing we're going to see next is we are not going to get it right the first time. Please, please don't disregard that as a failure. It's a learning exercise. Yeah. The second thing is Solution one, size, right, right? one yeah. size does not fit all inside of a company. Right. The IT people, they can work just about anywhere. They've been doing it for years. Maybe they'll work a little different. Right. Maybe, maybe, you know, frontline workers have to work frontline. Right. Maybe knowledge workers, depending on which kind of job they have, they can do some sort of hybrid. So I think companies have to really figure out, I need to do a couple of things. I need to support a very flexible environment. Yeah. I need to build equality back into that e equation. So equality means I can't have the people at work and the people at home being not equitable anymore. And I think the last part is I need to put tools in place that will adapt as time goes on right? Not just put in this technology and everybody will use it that way. It has to adapt because our users are going to adapt. And, and I think we're going to see different users. Look, I'm clearly a boomer, but I'm kind of proud to say, I think like a millennial sometime, right? And I don't know, you read a lot of articles like I did. You see the article about the millennials and the Gen Zs in the New York Times? Which is this the millennials who feel that they're being picked on by the Gen Zs? Who are yeah, it said, it said millennials I did. Fear, fear Gen Zs, yeah, right? And now the millennials, which are the next, the next leadership of most companies today, right, are now having to deal with the boomers that to deal with the millennials. The, yeah. It's great to see the millennials have to deal with the Gen Zs who are done with their analyst programs, yeah. right, and things like that. And so at the end of the day, right, now it's all coming back. Yeah. And the cycles are shortening, uh, you know, so look, 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 look at the, the difference between Gen Z and millennial. It's pretty, pretty narrow band. Interesting. But a different thought process. Different thought process and right. a completely different expectation now, as you were, as you mentioned, when it comes back to work. And you know, uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna have to have this conversation in, in a couple of years, Gary. If we, uh, you know, uh, and yeah. you, can, uh, you know, reflect or, or, you, or June, but you know, or June. Yeah, look at how short. Uh, I'd be happy to do it. So I I do think I do think. Look, we're the next step is gonna. Please don't. It's not gonna be simple. Yeah. Okay. It was simpler. Simpler, yeah. It was simpler moving to a fully virtual team, yeah, than to move to a hybrid. No doubt, right? we've never been good at multiple work models in the same company. Yeah, you're you're, you're reminding me too. Like uh, you know, we talk a lot about multitasking, but uh, you know, neurologists say you know very often that people think in sequence. Nonetheless, so we like to think that we're all we're doing all these things, but the way the brain's functioning is sequential in uh, most instances. But you know, we uh, I think we we have room for plenty uh, more discussion and uh, not much room for time. Uh, yeah, but we've been really honored to have the opportunity to talk with you, Gary, and uh, you know have a have a fun discussion and a, a meaningful uh, discussion about where Zoom is headed and uh, you know where uh, you know you put uh, so much emphasis and time over the pandemic. And uh, I, genuinely, I think we couldn't have done it without you. So uh, thank you for that uh, and appreciate it. Well, thank you. And it's been an honor being interviewed by you today. It's so great. great. And hopefully, great. yeah, we will set up six months from now and we should just yeah. call it looking back six months.
Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll keep my presence available, Gary. You can just uh, chime in. There we go. We'll, we'll do it from there. So there you go. Really good to good to talk. So let me just uh, thank everybody, all the participants uh, who uh, were here and the Cybersecurity Summit as well for hosting this and Zoom for conceiving of it. I recommend that everybody take a look at cybersecuritysummit.org. Uh, it's not too soon to uh, start planning for uh, next year's summit. So uh, please do that and uh, continue to stay with us for webinars in the future. And uh, it's a, a pleasure to be able to talk with you all. Uh, we look forward to it. Take care and stay well. Thanks so much.